Today we're going to be in the book of Jonah. I've been preaching since 2001. I preached my first sermon July 1st, 2001. I have never preached out of the book of Jonah until this week. First time ever preaching. Isn't that crazy? It almost sounds like heresy, doesn't it? You know? Uh, I have referenced the character in the story of Jonah many times, but I've never just preached out of the book of Jonah. So I want you to look at Jonah. We're going to be in chapter one. We are going to end up digesting some content from chapters two and three, but we're going to start in Jonah one. The Bible says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof, bought him a ticket, got down in the boat to go with everybody on the boat to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Did he not learn anything from Adam and Eve? He thinks he's gonna be able to get away from God. This is almost humorous. If I can go all the way to this coastal city in this fishing port and get me a boat ticket, maybe I can get God to leave me alone. <laughs> but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, if you follow the rest of the story, you find out that the mariners on board the ship finally identify the reason for the storm is sleeping in the bottom of their boat. Jonas, now so discouraged and perplexed, suicidal tendencies are happening in the boat. And he says, you know what? Just throw me out of this boat and this whole mess will be over with. So they cast a ballot, they take a boat and they decide, all right, dude, man overboard. Verse 15 says they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord have prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I remember the day I turned 16, I was waiting at the DMV to get my driver's license. I got my driver's license. I started driving immediately. It was very apparent to my parents, my mother, and my father that I inherited my mother's driving skills and that uh, we didn't know it when I was born. We didn't know it until I got older, but apparently the right foot weighs 20 pounds more than the left foot. And, um, and, and so uh, I was rather an aggressive driver, always, always in a rush. No matter if I was early, I was still in a rush everywhere I went. Um, you know, if you're not first, you're last. Somebody say amen. Shake and bake. Um, I, and so I, I remember my dad had a Honda Passport. It was just a regular midsize SUV. And um, I, I, was playing, I was playing travel baseball for an independent league. We had a baseball field that we played at and managed in Epps, on Epsbridge Parkway in Athens, Georgia. And so what we would do is we would go out there and we would, uh, we would just up, have, you know, maintenance and upkeep the field. And my dad and I were, had picked up and transported five five-gallon jugs of gasoline. 
We had 25 gallons of gas. We laid the seats down in the Honda Passport. I drove the Passport. He drove the 1963 Chevy pickup truck that me and him were in the process of restoring. He drove the truck. I drove the Passport. I meet him at the field. It's time to leave. He tells me, hey, I got to go to Home Depot or Lowe's. Go home. I said, okay. I get the keys. I'm walking. I'm going towards the, 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 the car. He says, Derek, I'm going to Home Depot or Lowe's. Go home. I said, all right, I'll go home. He goes, go straight home. Don't stop anywhere. Don't, don't go see one of your friends. Don't go see your girlfriend. Go straight home. Hey, I'm going home. So I proceed to go to my girlfriend's house. I'm heading to the house. Now, I'm timing this in my mind, right? I, I swing by there real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm timing this in my mind. I know how long it takes me to get from this location to my house, and dad's on Epsbridge Parkway. He's in the 63, you know, three on the tree custom pickup truck that is as precious as his child, and he's not gonna fly home, and dad doesn't, you know, dad's a probate judge. He was a former state trooper, so, you know, 10 over the speed limit, no more than that, right? So I know I gotta hurry up to beat him to the house. So I go out of, the, I gotta go out of her driveway in a, in a mad dash. I'm heading to the house. I've got 12 minutes to get home. I'm driving towards this stop sign, which is made to coast through, and I'm coming up on it, and, and so, so, some joker in a jacked-up four-by-four comes flying around the corner into my lane where the stop sign is. And he's, I mean, he's just, I mean, it's already got the big old 44-inch mud bogging tires that take up his lane anyway, and he's riding the line. So I have to swerve over, and I have to get on the brakes real good. When I lock down on them brakes and that SUV slides, I hear something tip over in the back seat. I look over behind me, and all five of those five-gallon cans of gasoline has fell over. And I hear, I look over, the, the top has come off of them. The gasoline is spilling into the seats. It's going all over the upholstery and the fabric. It's moving through the cracks into the floorboard. I panic. I jump out of the car, set them up, put the tops on them. My mind starts trying to formulate what kind of plan. I, I'm thinking, well, we're already soaked in gasoline. I could just light a match and burn this thing and get rid of the evidence. That's a horrible idea because I don't have much of a backstory. Where am I going to hide this in this county? The judge isn't going to know it. And so, you know, I thought about, you know, putting a brick or a stick on the, on the gas and running it off into a pond. And I'm like, you know what? This, this is, I'm going to have to tell so many lies to cover this one lie. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I, I just, I'm just going to have to go home and I'm going to have to clean this mess up before he gets there. I'm already running out of time as it is. The goal was to beat him to the house. Now the goal is beat him to the house and get his car like it was before I got in it. I get to the house, man. I open all the doors on this thing. I got music blaring, you know, to get myself in the spirit of a cleaning spirit, you know. And I'm, I, I got... I, I got a big old wet towel and I'm just scrubbing stuff and I'm, I'm trying to get the air vac and you know, I'm, I'm spraying Glade everywhere and it's just not making a dent in this mess that I've created. And here comes my dad in the driveway. I'm laboring away, scrubbing this thing. He gets out, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm cleaning your car, which is very random <laughs> considering I've never done anything like this in my entire life. <laughs> And notice, he notices that the exterior is still dirty from the dirt road that the, 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 the car had been on. 
And he says, what's that smell? Knows what it is. He says, is that gas? I said, well, we had, we had gas in the back of the car and I took it and I put it in the garage. I mean, that's, you, you smell the gas. He gets over to the car and it's so strong. Now, I don't know that it's strong because I'm already high at this time. You know, I've been camp- I've been laid up in the back of this thing. You know, I done built me a hammock in the thing, right? Got me a bag of Funyuns. I'm over here just chilling. He comes up. He said, what, why is, why do I smell so much gas? What did you, what did you do to my car? And then he just makes this like divine connection, real scary. Like he says, you didn't come straight home. You didn't go home. I said, I'm home now. You didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. You stopped somewhere. Where did you go? What did you do? And how the heck did all this gas spill in the back of my car? At this point, I've got no lie to cover my tail. There's no story I can fabricate. There's no fairy tale I can come up with. And I, did, I had to own it. I had to own it. And I remember as I'm confessing the context of my error to my father, I remember thinking, he's going to kill me. Like, he's a powerful man, right? He's a judge, you know? He can, he, can, he can fit me for a pair of cement shoes, and I'll never show up again in a river. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Right? So I, I'm starting to think through what, what's going to happen. And, and, and you're probably right now, you've got the inner monologue in your mind that I did when I was standing in the driveway. How does somebody come back from this, right? I have made my own choice. The instructions were clear. Didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what my dad wanted. Go do this. Nothing else but this. What did I do? The exact opposite of what my dad told me to do. I made a mess. I have paid the price. How am I going to ever come back from this? Did he take my license? Was I allowed in the house ever again? Was I allowed in one of his vehicles ever again? Did he knock me out of his will? Was I no longer his child? Was I no longer his son? Did he etch England from my name? No, you know what? I'll give you the facts. Despite, get this, my disobedience and despite the gravity of my own stupidity, I was still David England's son. In fact, I was able to drive the Honda Passport. It was a while before I got to drive it, but I got to drive it again. Better yet, we actually finished restoring that 1963 Chevy pickup truck, and guess who got to drive it when it was fully restored? I did. What happened? Well, I got, I got another chance. It, it looked, now, it looked like at a certain point in that equation, there was no way my dad would ever trust me again He would never enable me again, and he would never bless me again. But the reality was, I got another chance with my dad. And I want to submit to you by way of introduction, I think many of us have been here before with God. Many of us have been here where God was very specific, and God gave us instructions for our life, and, and what do we do? We heard it in our spirit. We knew it in our heart. And we just said, I'm good. No, thank you. I don't want to do what it is you want me to do. And we ran from it. We didn't learn from Adam nor Jonah. We ran from it. We just didn't do it. And listen, I don't want to assume everybody's got this figured out. Maybe that's where you're at right now in life. Maybe God has, has very specifically shared with you what he wants for your life, but you have just made your mind up like, like me, like everybody else in this room, like Jonah, You have messed that up and you need 
another chance. Well, I want to encourage you with this, and I'll give you my title. You get another chance. Oh, I wish somebody wanted to do some church with me at 1030. You get another chance. And it probably doesn't seem like it. It probably doesn't feel like it right now, especially if your journey has looked anything like Jonah's did going in the wrong direction. So maybe, maybe we could start by tracing this back to how it actually began when, when like Jonah, maybe you ignored God's will. Maybe you ignored God's will because that's what Jonah did. The Bible says in verse number two, God said to Jonah, I want you to go here and this is what I want you to do. Verse three says, Jonah rose up to flee in the exact opposite direction that God told him to go, jumped on a boat, bought him a ticket, took the cruise out in the middle of nowhere to get as far as he could from the presence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanna say this. God has a will. He has a will. God has a sovereign will that is global, and God has a specific will that is individual. See, God had a will for people in a town called Nineveh, which tells us that God's will is sovereign. It's huge. And it was for this place globally. Yet God also has a very specific will for a person named Jonah that is individual in its nature. God has a will for you. I know that everybody in this room, sometimes we get hoodwinked into thinking it's only for the elite of the elect of the Christian family tree. It's only for preachers and pastors and the people that get on the stage, the people in the spotlight, the people that went to seminary, had Bible college experience, the people that have more degrees than a thermometer, the people that can quote the Bible from front to back and know all 66 books of the Bible in order and know all the chronological, chronological aspects of the timeline of history. All those things the devil makes you think that it's only reserved for people like that, but I want to tell you, if you are his and he is yours, God has a will for your life too. Oh my, his will is perfect for you. There is no plan you'll ever come up with that will improve upon the plan of God for your life. There is no plan you'll ever create that will enhance or cultivate the plan that God has for your life. The best plan for your life is God's plan for your life. God has a will that's perfect for you, and it's been paved out in his word. It's been paved out in his word, showing us and revealing to us that if you really want to start a walk with God, it's got to start with a relationship where you got to come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ because that's the global will and that's the individual will. Let's start with your soul, and when we start with your soul, then we're going to fix your life because after I get your soul, then you're going to give me your life. Once I've got your life, I can start mapping out what my will is for you because I don't allow Watch this now. God didn't have Nineveh, the plan for Nineveh, and the plan for Jonah conflict with each other. They complemented each other. Nineveh was apart from God. They needed a preacher. God wanted Jonah. Jonah was the preacher. And the global and the specific will of God come together. It all weaves together. God had this plan, and he revealed this plan, his will, not yours, not mine, his will is revealed to us when he put himself inside of us through the Holy Spirit of God. And that begins to direct and lead and guide us into the very will of God. And we are always given the same thing Jonah was given, a choice. Everybody say choice. choice. We were given a choice. 
Jonah made a choice. God said, this is what I want from you. This is what I have for you. I want you to do it. And Jonah said, I'm good. I think I'll go on a boat ride. And he made a choice. He had full opportunity and full ability to make whatever choice he wanted to make. And he chose his own choice. And you do too. God is a gentleman. He'll never twist your arm and make you do what his will is for your life. He knows his will is better than your will. He knows who you belong with. He knows where you belong in the workforce. He knows what church is exactly suited to accomplish its mission with your gifts. He knows who your circle of friends need to be. He knows how much money you can manage, not make, manage. He knows every little detail. He's thought about stuff you haven't even thought about. He's looked ahead a decade down the road and already calculated things that need to weave into the big picture of his purpose for your life. All those things that matter to you matter to God and God's already thought about it. He's already sat up and done the homework and he's already planned on his will for your life. But we have a choice. See, God made a world full of choices. As divine, supreme creator, he could have created nothing. It'd still been good. If God calls it good, it still would have been good. He could have created nothing, right? Or God could have created a world that has no morals. There's no such thing as good or bad. Or he could have created a world with good and bad, but his creation by default, is programmed like a religious robot to only choose good. Or he can make a world with good and bad and he could give his creation a choice. Good, bad, right, wrong. Darkness, light. Because when he gives his creation a choice, it's the only world where love is possible. Because love is a decision. Love is a choice. And love is the supreme ethic of all the universe. And God decided to have a world with love in it. So he created people that have a choice to choose to love themselves or to love their God. And this reminds us of something that we all get messed up with. We forget this. My God, we forget this. People are only gonna do what they wanna do or what God wants them to do. They ain't ever gonna do what me and you want them to do. You can't make nobody do nothing. You can bait the hook. You can wrap it up. You can sell it and pitch it and present it all day long, but you can't make people do what you want them to do. They're gonna choose themselves or they're gonna choose God. If they choose you, it'll be temporarily. I can't choose to have a godly marriage until I've chose God to be in my marriage. I can't choose to have a godly life until I choose to let God be my life. I have a choice. God gave specific instructions to Jonah and he made a choice. 
And I'm going to take, can I I get honest with y'all? When you want the best for somebody and you, you see the best for somebody, it's aggravating when the people that you love and you want the best for don't want the best for themselves, but they can't see it. And it fr- You ever dealt with this with your kids? Like it gets frustrating when your kids don't make the best choice. They don't make the best decision. And sometimes your kids, let's get honest, will make a decision and you're going, why would you do that? The buffet of benefits and blessings laid before you like a smorgasbord of success. You wanted to make that decision. How asinine can we be? And, and b- before I let the frustration be, be my fuel, the Holy Ghost will go. <clears throat> Speaking of decision making and poor choices. Let's, let's, do we need to pull your track record? Because you're not batting a thousand, big boy. And, and I have to remind myself, you know, I read this story. Jonah, you heard from God. That's a deal. You get to work for God. And Jonah said, I want to work for myself. And before I want to judge Jonah, I've got to remember how many times I bought the same boat ticket. How many times I went the same direction and we together know what it's like to ignore God's will. And if you've ever ignored God's will, you've probably faced God's wind. You've probably got in that boat. And I don't wanna re-preach last week, but you probably got in that boat and you probably experienced what he experienced in verse four. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. I wrote this down and God told me to tell you this. God never makes disobedience easy for those that belong to him. Where's my kids at? I got four kids on the back row. I got four kids. Let me, let me just remind y'all, you'll never get away with it. Ever. I'll always know that it'll always, somehow, in some way, it'll always work its way back to me. Because God is sovereign and I'm his child. And he will always make a, the Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. God never makes it easy for his children to be idiots. Like, I just can't get away with it. If my daddy loves me, he's not going to allow me to stay stupid forever. I remember, I remember my dad every now and then having to, as, as the old timers will say, take me out behind the woodshed. Ain't no woodshed at our house. Didn't need one, bless God. You get whooped anywhere with anything. Go on out there and get you a switch. <laughs> You find a little blade of grass. That man go out there and pluck a, pluck a branch off a tree. This hurts me more than it hurts you. How many of y'all ever heard that lie? <laughs> this hurts me more than it hurts you. Oh, yeah? Really? Go get my baseball bat. We'll find that out. Let me smack you with something. <laughs> Let me take video games away from you. Let me take your keys. You can't go to work and earn any money to 
feed us. Let's see how it feels. No, I know my place. God didn't let it, he wasn't, he wasn't about to let it get easy for Jonah. God said, I want you to do this. Jonah said, I'll see you later. And God said, all right. The whole goal right now is you getting away from my presence. Well, I'm about to show you my presence is in the sea of your rebellion. And he stirred up a wind. He stirred up a wind. Here we go. God created circumstances that became a resistance to the direction Jonah was going. You ever got dumb and then your life got hard? Huh? What's that saying? Life is hard. Life is harder if you're stupid. <laughs> All this, this mess happens out there on the sea. This was, this was God, God throwing yellow light after yellow light after yellow light because eventually there's a red light. We don't need to run the red light because there's a wreck on the other side, Jonah. God's doing all he can to get this boy's attention. The mariners end up throwing him overboard. I do want to submit this very, very quickly by way of a so what an application. It could be that your life is turbulent because of you or somebody you let on your ship that ain't supposed to be there. When the Bible says that Jonah paid the fare thereof, sin will cost you more than you are really willing to pay. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. They throw him overboard. This wind was meant to stop him. Stop, Jonah! You won't listen to me. Maybe you'll listen to the invisible force of your situation. And they throw him overboard. Now look at this. Look at this. This is interesting. The Bible says in verse number, I believe it's 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Interesting language right there. Did you see that? The Lord prepared a great fish. That word prepared means to appoint or assign. That's what it means. It means that God got a fish ready. How, how's God gonna get a fish? How are you gonna train a fish? I can't get my dog to do what I want him to do. Or my kids, and you're going to train a fish? Well, if you're the one that made the fish, got me there. Isn't it interesting that Jonah gets in a boat. He rows and rides as far as he can from the presence of God. And at the very place where he was getting thrown overboard, God already had a mammoth-sized marine animal waiting on him. Had he stayed in those choppy waters of death, he would have been shark bait as sure as I'm standing here. But instead of being shark bait or losing his energy and drowning over time, my Bible says that God had already appointed and planned a great fish to swallow him up. Could it be the very thing Jonah thought was going to kill him was actually there to keep him? The very thing he thought was there to swallow him was there to secure him. A great fish. Hold on now. When Jesus was picturing his death 
burial, and resurrection, he referred back to the prophet Jonah. And he told them, he said, the same way Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the grave. But what did Jesus say? As Jonah was in the belly of the whale. What? Jonah called it a fish. Jesus called it a whale. <laughs> There's probably somebody in the room going, and? Well, you realize that's not the same thing. Some of y'all may think a dolphin is a fish. It's not. It's a mammal. A whale is not a fish. A fish is not a whale. Well, which one was it, Pastor Derek? Was it a fish or was it a whale? Well, I doubt very seriously that Jonah has authority over the one that made that thing to be able to call it what he thinks it really is. Maybe it was a whale shark. That's an actual species. There's your biology for the day. You're welcome. Here's what I know. Jonah calls it a fish. God calls it a whale. You call a fish what God calls a whale. Some of you are going to get that when you're eating out back. Are you hearing me? It ain't what you think it is. It ain't what it appears to be. Oh my God, who is in a situation right now and you are wondering what in the well am I doing here and how in the well did I get here? Well, I want to tell you, you are probably exactly where you need to be. You're probably in the very spot you're supposed to be in because what you think is going to kill you, God put it in your life to keep you. This well was a waiting room. Three days and three nights. Really? It took you checking in that long before it hit you that you needed to turn to God? <laughs> Let me get this straight. God said, this is what I want you to do. You said no. You went and bought a, a boat ticket. You got on the boat. You rode all the way out there in the wrong direction, heading to a place called Tarshish, when God told you 600 miles the other way to go to Nineveh, you get thrown out of the boat. It just so happens as you hit the water, there's a giant fish, well, something that God put in your life to pick you up and swallow you whole when you should have died out there in the water. And it still takes you three days and three nights to have a prayer meeting and wake up and say, all right, God, I'm sorry. Y'all do realize that when it says he was in the belly of this beast, I hate to ruin it for our, 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 our special audience today, but it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing like those little storybook Christian tales that we saw in Sunday school or some cushioned creative Christian artist drew a sweet little Moby Dick looking joker with a smile on his face and Jonah perched on the backside of the tongue pondering all of the decisions that he's made. A little campfire, a little lunchbox in a tent. Turn that whatever thing is hanging from its throat into a disco ball and he's having one heck of a time. He was in the digestive tract of a living thing. Dark, stinky, krill and shrimp 
salt water in his britches and seaweed wrapped around his head. A whale has two stomachs. One is, is, is acidic digestive juices that break down whatever it is they've eaten. The other stomach is like a, 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 a mashing mechanism that just crushes whatever they ate. Which stomach do you think he was in? I don't know which one he was in, but I know both of them were enough to kill him and they didn't. I know he should have died in there. I read behind a scholar that said they think he did die in there. That God let his body experience death, took his soul, dropped it in hell for three days and three nights. Why? He cried in Jonah 2. In the belly of hell I cried, pulled his soul back out like he did Lazarus, dropped it back in his body. He woke up, snapped out of it and said, all right, God, I'll pay the vow that I vowed. Whether he was dead or alive, I know this. He was sitting in God's well like a waiting room until he got his wake-up call. Some of us have been there, waiting on things to change, waiting on things to alter, waiting on things to resolve, and God's waiting on you to wake up. God's like, I haven't forgotten what I told you that you seem to have forgotten, so I'm letting it get worse so we can get things better. But here's what I love. The Bible says that God spoke to the fish and the fish vomited him up on the shore. Y'all, listen, y'all gotta let, you gotta read the Bible when you read the Bible. This actually says some stuff. Who did God speak to? The fish. Fish. He spoke to the fish. Is this, not, is this not humorous to you? He's in this well, and God's like, how many of y'all know what it's like to have somebody in your life that won't listen to you? I just gave every woman in this chance, in this room, a chance to shout the roof off the place. And so when you can't get them to listen to you, you'll tell somebody else to give them the message on your behalf, right? The last time God trusted Jonah with some privy information, he jacked it up. So what's God do? He tells Moby, he says, hey, I need you to take that joker to that shore and spit him out. Now, isn't it interesting? Jonah gets on a boat. He goes hundreds of miles the wrong direction. Right at the time when he got thrown over to his imminent death, there is a well that catches him. The well catches him and swims all the way back. <laughs> Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. The well is the way back. The well is the way back. And it just so happened when the well got to the very shore and coastline that God called Jonah to. God said, throw him up. And he gave that situation a sour stomach and he threw him up on the beach. And I, I, I just, again, nobody captures the real visuals with these stories. Here comes this preacher. He just got vomited onto a beach. 
He looks and smells like funk. (laughs) And he's thinking to himself, I thought I was going to die in there. I thought I'd never make it out of there. Now, I look like I've been there, but I didn't die in there and I didn't stay in there. Oh my God, y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. Some of y'all just barely made it out of some stuff that you thought you'd never ever make it out of before. Who am I preaching to in this room? You thought, I, you prayed some of them Jonah prayers in the bottom of your well. God, I don't know how in the well I got here, but God, if you will get me out of here, if you will get me out of here, and what did he do? He got you out of there. He turned your situation upside down. He got you where you were supposed to be. Jonah's like, OMG. This really happened. And the Bible says in chapter three, it says that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. You not only sitting in God's well, you need to hear God's word again. Oh my God, I want you to hear me out. You need to hear his word again. God spoke to Jonah again. He spoke over Jonah again. He spoke through Jonah again. And when God's word comes again, it's compassionate. When God speaks again after all that mess you went through, it's a compassionate word. It's not a condemning word. It's a compassion. He didn't get on that beach shore and God say, look at you, you darn fool. Look what you did. Look at the mess you made. Look at what you did with yourself. The Bible says it came a second time. And I want to submit to you like Jonah, many of you are still in a space of grace. You're still in a space of grace. God's got grace, patience, mercy, and compassion for where you're at right now. Somebody in this room's thinking right now, you, you, have, you have made God mad for the last time. You have rubbed his patience raw for the last time and God is sick of your excuses. He's sick of your failures and God's gonna throw you away like yesterday's garbage. I wanna tell you something, that's a lie straight out of hell. That's a lie, that's a lie. I heard a preacher, my God, I, I believe this theology and doctrine for years. Preached it myself as a young pastor. There was a man that preached a sermon called Sinning Away Your Day of Grace, which means this. You will be in a rebellious state where you refuse and resist the grace of God over and over and over. And God's constantly reaching out and reaching out and reaching out and reaching out and reaching out. And you keep slapping God's hand and keep slapping God's hand. Keep slapping God's hand. Reaching out and slapping your hand. He's reaching out and you keep slapping his hand. Reaching out. You're going to give me a broken blood vessel if I keep reaching my hand out. I get tired. I get tired of Hank hitting my hand. Might have punched him in the head. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I want you to smack my hand, not kiss it. Okay. <clears throat> I'm done. They said God does that. He said God will do that. He got reaching out, and you keep. God's eventually going to say, "I'm done." And and I understand. I understand the the initial approach doctrinally of what they're saying. 
how God gives those who's, who's, who's driven themselves in a state of unbelief over to a reprobate mind. I understand the context that they're going into. I understand the idea behind where they're going. But to say, what they're saying is, you get so calloused over and over and over. You get deaf. You get insensitive. God keeps calling out, calling out. You get more and more calloused. I have calluses right here on my hand, which means you can prick me with a needle in this callus and I will not feel it, nearly like I will feel it if you hit me in the palm. This is calloused, hard skin. It's desensitized. And they said the soul or the spirit of a man or woman can get so desensitized that they can flat out ignore God to the point where they'll never hear him again. But this man takes it a step further and says this. He says, if there ever comes a turning point where you realize your sin and you reconcile and you repent and turn back to God, he said, you've already sinned away the space of grace and God will say, while you're living, it's too late. If someone was to turn to God with a heavy heart of repentance, God would say, it's too late. I want to tell you something. If you're alive, it is not too late. I don't care if you've been running from God for 20 years. You can't go too far. You can't be too gone. And it is ne somebody needs to hear that. It's never too late. The difference with my hand and his, mine don't have any scars to prove I paid for your sin. The difference between my hand and his hand is his already knows where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. And when I get in my father's hand, nothing or nobody can ever pluck me from my father's hand. No wind, no waves, no whale, no world can take me from I'm God. Can't send away your day of grace. And there's nothing you can do as a son or a daughter to change the fact he's your daddy. I'm about to throw that chair right there. My God, we ought to just, we ought to call a timeout right there and thank God of all the dumb, stupid, erroneous things we've done. God never washed his hands of us. He never turned his back. God's already turned his back one time. He did it 2,000 years ago when his son became sin. He turned his back on Jesus so he could look at us. My God, my God. Came to Jonah a second time. It was so clear. It was so clear. When it came that second time, out of bowels of compassion and mercy, it was so clear. It sounded exactly like it did the first time. <laughs> you know what that means? Whatever God wanted to do in my life, it's still there waiting on me to do it. That God never changed his mind. He never changed his mind. July 1st, 2001, I preached my first sermon. Seven days prior to that, I told God, yes, I'll preach. And I have changed my mind several times. But there was never a time when I changed my mind that he changed his. That's right. He never changed his mind. And it was very clear. When I finally came back, and got out of that whale, what he wanted me to do was right there on the shore waiting for me to do it. It was so clear. And I want to tell you something. 
whatever God told you last is still your next step. Oh my God, you didn't hear me. Some of us are stuck in a well of a situation all because we are yet to do the last thing God told us to do. Just marry him. Just marry him. But I can't love, what if I get in this marriage and it happens like the last one? Just, God said, God said, it's time. Marry him. Does he love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do y'all want to dream with me together? Yes. Do y'all want me in the middle of your marriage? Yes. Do you want to pursue the power and the principles and the perfect will of God over your life that I have for you? Yes. Well, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? You're coming up with all these ideals and trying to alter and modify God's will. And God's going, I just want it to be right. I just want it right. Because I can bless truth, but I can't work with a lie. I can't, I can't, I can't work with cake and eat it too. I got a better cake. I got a better cake, but, but you want this cake. That cake is poisonous. That cake is killing your morals. That cake is killing your conscience. It's killing you. Aren't you tired of every sermon and every song, everything reminding you of your sin? Can we, let's just fix this, God said. Preachers that don't preach. I'm confused. What are you again? You've always got a pulpit. You've always got a platform. Preach. Preach. It may not look like this. It may be on the other end of the phone. It may be at the workplace or on the water cooler. But God put preaching you. Let preach come out of you. Amen. The most miserable I've ever been is when I was doing my will, not his. Sitting in a gym. Head trainer. Watching people go round and round and round and round and round and round on a bike but never go nowhere. And hearing the Holy Ghost say, that's what your life's going to look like for the next 30 years. Working and pushing and pedaling and sweating and breathing and mad and angry and never go nowhere. Enjoy your boat trip. Enjoy your fishing trip. And you are the bait, boy. And it took longer than three days and three nights. And I said, all right, I want out. I want in. <laughs> I want out and I want in. And my situation finally threw me up into the sand. I'm pulling, I spent, spent two years pulling seaweed out of my ears, getting salt water out of my britches. Ain't it funny, you can get out of the woods, but the woods won't get out of you. Starting a church, worried I was gonna cuss. <laughs> Used to cuss, got saved, stopped cussing. Got out of church, got away from God, start, stopped preaching, started cussing. Wasn't easy to put it down the second time as it was the first time. Now we start a church and I'm going, oh. <laughs> Gus words are adjectives. This is going to be interesting. What am I doing? Why am I doing this again? Oh, yeah, because there's nothing else I can do. I can't do anything else. What you mean your resume is that bad? No, no, no. I can't do anything else with my life. It's probably the worst advice that we could ever give people. <laughs> These young men, there was one, there was one here at uh, eight, what was our first service? Midnight, what was one? 
There was a young man here. He wants to preach. He thinks God wants him to preach. He's not saying, I want to get paid to preach. He's not saying, I want to be in the ministry. First of all, what he doesn't know is preaching is 5% of what you do if you're in the ministry as a pastor. And it's also the funnest thing you get to do and the easiest. He doesn't have any idea what he thinks God wants him to do other than I think I'm supposed to preach. So my advice, Pastor Jake's advice, Pastor Jeff's advice to somebody like that is real simple. Run. Oh, oh, blasphemy, Pastor Derek. How could you tell him such a thing? Well, here's the deal. If you can get away from it, it ain't God. If you can get your little ticket and get on a boat and go out there and God leaves you alone, it was never God that told you. But if God put something on your heart and God gave you a clear next step and you go off and do your own thing and try to ignore him and try to get away from him, the moment you have your little prayer meeting wake-up call and come back, it's right there waiting on you to do what God said to do. And it's so many different things for so many people in this room. For somebody in this room, it's preach. For somebody in this room, it's getting married. For somebody in this room, it's wait, don't get that divorce. For somebody in this room, it's step out, take that job. For somebody in this room, it's start a small group. For somebody in this room, it's join a team. For somebody in this room, it's stop being a church hobo and plant yourself and get in and do something with what I gave you. Here's a good one right here. God said, do it. Your next step's always gonna be your next step. You can't run off on a boat, jump in a well somewhere and God go, how can I change my will to suit them so that they'll feel more about coming back? God doesn't change his will so you come back. God will give you wind and wells so that you wake up and come back. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man. Okay, let's break that down. That's a verse. It's a verse. I'm not, it's not Reader's Digest or Oprah. Listen to this. There's a way that seems right. So it always happens like this too. Y'all want me to pastor for a second? I'm gonna pastor. I remember at my first church, there was a boy, his name was Michael. Michael had a unique touch on him that he didn't know about. And I could tell God was dealing with him about preaching. God was dealing with this boy about preaching. And he came to a crossroad where he was about to give his life to the cause of preaching the gospel. But he, but he had a personal dream of becoming a firefighter. Now, in my mind, it's the same thing. Just choose the fire you want to fight. Some of y'all get that later. There ain't nothing wrong being a firefighter. My God, we need firefighters, and you can be a Christian firefighter. In his case, he, saw, he confided in me and said, God wants me to preach. When he told me God wanted him to preach, and he was going to talk to his wife and do it, he got a call from a fire department that asked him to come in. They had a spot for him. He spent six months preparing himself for this thing. He was in a training, he was in some kind of training uh, uh, thing where 
the rig and the detonations went wrong and it blew up the entire floor beneath him and it was this close to killing him. Had he been three feet this way, it would have killed him. He called me and said, I think God's trying to get my attention and he doesn't want me to do this. And he stopped himself and said, I know he doesn't want me to do this because I know if I do this, I'm gonna get so wrapped up in this that I'll never go down that path. And I said, you, what are you calling me for? I'm not the one that told you to do that with your life. He hung that phone up and talked himself in to stay in that path. It was 12 years ago, that boy has preached zero sermons. Now, if what God said to him is true, I don't care how far out here he is. Whatever God said to him still stands. And if I know God like I think I do, there's a well somewhere out there that's gonna drag that boy back to that shore and throw him up at that crossroads to make his choice all over again. Have you ever thought about this? Jonah had a choice a second time. He could have gotten another boat. Somebody, somebody says, that would be really dumb after all that to get back in that boat again. I know, but we still do it. Thrown up, pulling seaweed out of our ears and shaking the salt water out of our britches and we go. There is a, there is a way that seems right to a man. That's what it says, it seems right. We ask unspiritual people for advice. We go based on the way we feel. We look at how many decimals and dollar signs are attached to it or how comfortable or how convenient it is or how will I look on the highlight reel of my Facebook page if I go this route. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. It's a dead end. Nobody could preach this sermon any better than Jonah. Soaking wet, standing right here, covered in seawater. He could tell you. Do what God wants. And if you didn't do what God wants, why don't you come back and do what God wanted? So here's the bottom line. You get another chance. So run to God instead of running from God. Oh, could you imagine if you use the energy, you know how much energy it took to get away from God? Oh my God, some of y'all look so tired right now. Oh, I'm serious. I can see it on your face. You are tired. Your legs hurt from running. You like this, church. You, you're not sure if you like me, but you like what I'm preaching and you like how I'm saying it, but you are tired. You're so tired because what you're doing is not working. Let's be honest, it never has. You always go down that way that seemed right and you're standing there when it's over with, covered in seaweed and saliva going, this is not what I thought it was. And God's still back there at the fork in the road going, whenever you're ready. I'm right here and I'll keep sending wind, I'll keep sending waves, I'll do whatever I gotta do to get your attention, but I'm right here and I want you to do this with your life and I'll do it with you. 
So what if we took that energy that we're using to run from God and we started using that energy to run to God? What if you ran to God like you used to run from him? Oh, y'all act like there ain't no hellions in the room. I ain't stupid. God, some of us used to have a good time living in sin, didn't we? We had a good, good time being idiots. We, man, this room, man, I'm telling you what, it's just, it's like every other service. It's just like the platform, bunch of adulterers and fornicators, whoremongers, liars and thieves, homewreckers. <laughs> yeah, every service. Thank God. Thank God. Whoremongers, adulterers, thieves, liars, prideful, covetous. Wrath, anger, bitterness, fake, phony, hypocritical. And that's just the pastor. We even started with the members. I may spend the next 10 years pulling seaweed out of my pants. That's fine. It's a better way I could have said that probably. I still want to do what he wants. Doesn't mean I won't buy a ticket. <laughs> Doesn't mean I won't get on a boat and realize, oh God, what am I doing? And jump back. But I have made a lot of comebacks. And I've always had another chance because he's gracious and he's merciful. And he's still my daddy. And he's still yours. My God, somebody help me give him praise. You can come back. You get another chance. You get another chance. 